Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 44, Dog Stories, Animation, and Creating a Positive Impact with Michael Rell. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 2021. I hope you've started the year at well. Here's hoping that this will be a better year than 2020 was. I wanted to, once again, thank all of you for your messages of encouragement and all the positive vibes. I love hearing from you. I love hearing the impact that the podcast is having on your work. And it's great seeing some of you creating new work while listening to the podcast. I think that's pretty cool. So I just wanted to, once again, say thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. I think you're really going to enjoy this week's episode. It was a really uh, great conversation I had with Michael Relf, and we'll get to that in a bit. But I thought, as per usual, I'm going to go through some updates, some of the things that I've been working on. I haven't been doing a whole lot of art in the last little bit because I've been occupied with other things, which I'll get to in a moment. But I did, I've been playing with colored pencil previous to the last podcast. And so what I did is I actually found that uh, Faber-Castell polychromos pencils were on special in a, from a location here in Canada. And so I ordered a set of 120. So I just got those a little while ago, and uh, man, it's incredible. I had a, a very uh, small set before, and so you know I would have had to blend quite a bit. And you know it's possible to do that, but I wanted a much larger set, so it gives me a, a wider range of color. And I'm so glad I ordered these. It's it's a bit overwhelming. <laughs> I don't know if I should have gone to 120 and maybe gone uh, one size smaller, but it's uh, these are such beautiful pencils. They're oil-based instead of wax, and the, the tips are so um, hard on them, so I can really kind of focus on the details. So I'm going to be playing with these. I have gone back in to, uh, to graphite and been playing with that a little bit as well, but I really want to kind of explore colored pencils a little bit more. I wanted to find a really good pencil sharpener. So I have a lot of pencil sharpeners. I probably have six or eight, maybe more, but they're all usually kind of the same kinds, the little plastic ones. I've got some, uh, an eye point, I think, electric sharpener, but they don't really give me the, the tip on the colored pencils that I wanted. So I ordered one of these Carl Angel 5 pencil sharpeners from Amazon, and this thing is amazing. I've just been blown away by this pencil sharpener, it's not a lot of money. It's a manual, kind of like, you know, in school, which you would picture sharpening a pencil with. But I went through and I sharpened 120 of my uh, Faber-Castell pencils. And then I created a little bit of a sheet. And I'll post a link to that. But it's a little bit of a sheet to be able to show all the colors. So as I'm working on images, I can actually look at how the colored pencil looks on paper and then choose the appropriate number um, in kind of building a palette for a specific piece. I used it on some graphite uh, pencils that I have, some wooden pencils, and it does such an amazing job, such a nice long tip. And on the right pencil, if it's hard enough lead, it just keeps that tip. So I'm really, really happy. So if you are looking for a pencil sharpener, this Carl Angel 5 is amazing. It comes in different colors. I got red because I wanted something a bit flashy (laughs) just for me. I'm really happy with that purchase. So um, I also ordered a few other accessories for colored pencil and for graphite, but I'll save those for a future episode once I have a chance to play with them. And it's just small things, but I'm trying to... It's nice to kind of get your equipment in order, and and, uh, there's a couple of things that I haven't tried before, but I'm going to talk about that once again. I've got a guest coming up in a future episode just kind of focusing on colored pencil, and we're going to have some interesting conversations 
around that. So I've ordered some accessories to help me with that. So I'm looking forward to that. So the thing I've been working on recently, uh, beyond sketching a little bit, and the reason I haven't done a lot of pieces, is I've been working on my shop, my online shop. And I had this plan that I was going to launch at the beginning of January and make some prints available, and things fell through. And this is the way it is, right? There was a bunch of reasons. The biggest reason was my printer died on me. And, you know, this is just the way it is. <laughs> I went to uh, spin things up and, and do these prints, and and sure enough, uh, the printhead dies on my printer, and it just wasn't worth uh, fixing. So to solve this, I actually ordered a smaller printer to kind of do the regular stuff around the household. There's my wife and my two kids, and they're virtual schooling at this point. So there's four of us using a printer. I don't really print much, but they do. So I, I bought a smaller printer to kind of satisfy that need. And then I ordered a larger printer to do prints. And I kind of bit the bullet on this, but I wanted something good. I wanted something that would produce uh, giglet prints. So these are archival prints. And so the ink, I think, lasts anywhere between two and 400 years, depending on whether it's uh, black and white or if it's color. And uh, I've also ordered some really nice papers. So I'm really excited about these prints that I'll be able to, uh, to produce going forward. And I'm not the only one that's going to be doing that. I've actually got um, Sam Hopkins from uh, Shoebox Studio, who's going to be doing my, some of my prints as well. So Sam was on the podcast in 2019. You can go back and listen to that. So he's going to be doing some of my prints for me as well. So this is all to say that I'm going to be starting up the shop uh, probably beginning of February, and it's going to be timed around my first newsletter. So that's the other thing I was going to release, is I was going to release a newsletter at the beginning of January, and I thought this is all going to be great all at the same time, and it just fell through. So I wanted to time the newsletter with the launch of the shop. So, you know, I'm not in a big rush with this. I just want to do it right. It's the start, right? You, you just want to come out and things to be good. And things aren't perfect. And I know there'll be issues moving forward and, and there'll be other challenges and that kind of thing. But I just wanted to start out right. And so the end of uh, January into February will be my first newsletter. That'll be where I'll launch the shop. And I'm also going to include a discount code in that newsletter. So if you happen to stumble across my shop, don't buy anything <laughs> right now. I won't ever say that again, but uh, there'll be a discount code coming in the newsletter. So if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, you can do that through the drawinginspiration.fm site or through mikehendley.com, and you'll receive that first newsletter. And within there, you'll get a discount code. Within the newsletter, I'm going to be talking about obviously the podcast, but I'm going to post a, a blog or two once a month that I'll link to as well, and I'll include some links. And I'm just going to try and make this informative, kind of a reflection of what I'm doing, but also what I've discovered, and uh, just having a, a conversation about art and creating, and maybe something in there will, will trigger something for you. And I'm hoping this will have an impact as the podcast has had an impact on so many people. So, And so just back to the shop bit, I, I did mention this, but I am actually going with Shopify instead of Etsy. I had talked about going with Etsy, and that was my plan. And then the more and more I read about it, it seemed like Etsy was a bit, I'm not going to say complicated, but when it came to the, the fees that, charge, that Etsy charges, it seems like there was a percentage on everything. Like every time you launch a new product, there's a percentage. And then when you replace that product with, like if you sell prints, you, you pay a percentage on each print in addition to the transaction fee. And then there's a listing fee and, and so on and so forth. It just seemed a bit much. And I kind of wanted to own all that. So I actually went with a Canadian company, Shopify, which has its headquarters here in Ottawa. 
I'm really happy with the Shopify experience. I have to say that in building that store and the tools that they have available, I mean, I'll go into this in a future episode if you're interested. I will talk about my experience in kind of building that out, but it is really an awesome experience in building a Shopify store. Their mobile app on both uh, the iPhone and the iPad is really great. And the integration with things like uh, Facebook and Instagram, if you've got pages for your artistic endeavor there, there's integrations available and they work really well. Yeah, it's been kind of cool. And I have a funny story, but I'm going to tell you (laughs) in the next episode around launching a product as well. It's coming soon. I'm really happy. I've been really busy with all of that in addition to coming back to work. And so I'm really excited. So that's, I think, all I have for updates. I didn't want to go too deep into it because the conversation with Michael uh, was quite good and quite long. And I want to get to that because uh, we had such a great time chatting. So before I get to the interview, I want to let you know that we had a wonderful appearance by a leaf blower. So one of Michael's neighbors decided to uh, do some work outside and pulled out a leaf blower. And so that does make an appearance quite late in the episode. I was able to minimize it quite a bit in the interview, and so you're really not going to hear too much, but you will hear a little bit of buzzing at some point with Michael speaking. So I do apologize for that, but it's the nature of podcasting. This kind of thing happens, and I don't think it's it's too much. So I just wanted to let you know, if you do hear some buzzing late in the episode, that is that neighbor with his leaf blower. So apologies. And uh, so now let's head on to the interview. I discovered my guest this week at the Virtual Lightbox Conference in the fall of 2020. He gave a wonderful presentation on a book he wrote and illustrated, or rather, a book a dog wrote, but we'll get to that. I later found out his skills and experience ran much deeper in the areas of visual development, animation, and illustration. He has such a playful playful style and aesthetic, and some of his recent animation with Procreate is top-notch. To talk about his creative journey, his art, and his new book, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Michael Ralph. Michael, how are you? Hi, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Mike? Good. You know, I, I didn't have you on my radar until Lightbox. <laughs> and then uh, I saw your book, uh, I saw your connection with Max Ulichny, and uh, I saw your talk, which was incredible. And then I've been following you and, and looking back into your Instagram profile, and I just... I love the work you do. Like it's, it's incredible. And especially for, as a Procreate user to see all the stuff that you're able to pull off and then the animation on top of that, you know, I, hats off to you. You're doing a fantastic work. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, I appreciate that. I think this is going to be fun. So I want to kind of talk about where things started and then we can get into some of your recent work, uh, the book and or your most recent book, and then talk about the animation too. So I think this is going to be fun. But I wanted to kind of get a sense of where you came from with this. I always mm-hmm. find it interesting to hear people's impact with art as a, as a child, or did it come as a teenager or an, a young adult? But for you, I mean, we all draw as kids, but was this a journey that you started quite young, or is this something you came to, or, or how did art start for you? Um, art, art has always been uh, something that, that I've been doing, uh, or drawing, mostly drawing. Um, I sort of started painting in, in high school, I guess, but we, when I was really young, I would, I would always be drawing. And then um, even in school, I was not the best student at all. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I had a weird way of remembering things. I would draw and take notes at, at the same time. And I would look at the drawings and sort of remember what the, what the teacher was talking about. So 
I ended up doing a lot more drawing and oftentimes more drawing than paying attention um, <laughs> in school. Um, I think I was pretty, pretty bored most of the time. So uh, yeah, it's just, I've just always been drawing about halfway through high school. I decided to take it a little more seriously and I enrolled in an arts high school in Orange County, which was amazing. I love, I love that high school a lot. That was the early, uh, my, I guess my early um, drawing and uh, art experience so are you still uh drawing on the napkins and the margins <laughs> yeah yeah i am um if uh if i go to like a restaurant with friends or or um with family and i didn't bring a sketchbook i'll usually uh i'll usually borrow a pen from someone or <laughs> draw on a napkin usually so, oh that's yes, awesome still am <laughs> i remember going to restaurants with my kids when they were younger and you know, you'd they'd get those coloring uh, placemats right, and mm-hmm. I would always take the crayons, and it's like, let Daddy work on this one a little bit. You could go over there and do something, but I'm just yeah. going to flip it over and use the, the the clean white side. And yeah, yeah, I would do the same thing. I'd flip it over. I'd use the back. Yeah, yeah, lots. <laughs> the the canvas is better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it was it the drawing? Was it uh, you know? Were you into? anime or marvel or like was that was there something tied to your ability to draw that kind of pulled you through high school i loved comic books i loved spider-man and i loved uh x-men and um spawn which is yes (laughs) which is like looking back on spawn it's it's such a such a strange comic um Mm -hmm. and uh i really loved video games and i uh so I, i really liked fantasy and superheroes and all those things and um i would want to draw a lot of those things but uh that was just some of the time like i would be inspired by things that i've read that i'd read images i'd see but i I would say the majority of the time i was mostly drawing things from my imagination that just sort of came into my imagination another thing that i did mention earlier is my dad is an artist and he uh he studied art in school he encouraged me to draw when i was younger and he also encouraged me to draw my hands i, I remember that distinctly he might have been, he might have tried to teach me other lessons but he sort of taught me that like you know these are always here to observe right. and all you need is a paper and a pencil and you can kind of you know do different poses with your hands and challenge yourself to draw different hands so i did that at a very young age I don't remember what, but uh, it was high school or before high school. I was doing that a lot. Did you have any kind of fine art influence when you were drawing, or was it mostly kind of pop culture and comics and movies? I mean, beyond the the imaginative stuff that you created. Mostly pop culture, comics, movies. And I think at that age, I was influenced by like whoever was in my art class at the time <laughs> that I thought was really cool. I was like, wow, they can draw really good I need to draw like like them, or I need to get better drawing. A little bit of fine art influence. My dad took me to museums, me and my sisters to museums a lot. And I remember Guernica, seeing Guernica at a museum, the, the Picasso painting. Mm-hmm. That really stuck out to me. Like, I really distinctly remember going there. That was really amazing. That definitely stuck with me. Do you remember a piece that you did through high school or at that age, around that age that really stuck out for you that you felt at that time was, this is really good. Or people had commented, or do you remember the kind of a, 
a standout piece for you or did you create a character? I there's a few. Not not that anyone noticed this piece or that it stood out in anyone else's mind, but I remember with my best friend at the time in high school, we played a lot of video games together and we we read a lot of fantasy stories like Lord of the Rings and and things like that. We spent a ton of time together and we would always talk about these different stories we were reading or the games we were playing or whatever. And we decided we wanted to make a game together. And so we we spent a ton of time like drawing the whole world map and writing the backstory of these different people that live on this map and trying to to come up with a whole a whole world and a whole game. And that's not a particular piece, but we we had sheets of computer paper <laughs> taped to the wall and <laughs> Yeah, we just had a lot of fun making up something. And that, that sticks out in my mind as something that was really enjoyable that I, I really I really love doing. That's awesome to be able to kind of storyboard when you're <laughs> you're not even knowing that you're doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. We we just like were so inspired by the different games we played. I remember um in in the books that we were reading, we were like, Oh, let's let's make something like this. Let's uh, even though, you know, we're trying to design a game at the age of 13 or something like with no coding knowledge so we only got as far as dreaming and drawing but that's dreaming and drawing is fun <laughs> yeah. you know by itself that's awesome did you go to university or college then into arts or what was your uh, career path from there from high school yeah so for for college i from the I think the arts high school actually led me to college. I had some really great teachers at the arts high school. My favorite one was Ann Bridges. She is uh, a, like a California paint, painter. And she had she taught a few classes at, at OSHA, which was the, uh, the high school. And one of them that I really loved was the figure drawing. And I think there was an advanced figure drawing. And uh, we didn't do nude models uh, because it was high school. But they they would have the the dancers from the from the dance conservatory come up uh, in their like dance outfits and just do different poses and we we draw them. So, anyways, that teacher for the figure drawing class encouraged me to check out Art Center, and I think someone else encouraged me to check out Cal Arts. And so I went to tour both of them, and I decided on Art Center, and I went and I went to Art Center. So, in terms of uh, for university. Uh, I spent four years at Art Center, and I majored in illustration. And then towards the end of that four years, I shifted my focus to motion graphics and animation. And then, that, and then I graduated with a sort of illustration, motion graphics, animation hybrid degree uh, at the end of it. Did you like that experience going through uh, college or university? Did you? Did you? Because I, I've, I hear some people. And this is a conversation that comes up all the time. Should you go or shouldn't you go? And I've heard good experiences in both paths. Uh, did you like that experience you had there? Did you feel, um, would you recommend it to others? It depends on who I'm talking to, whether or not I'd recommend going like to, uh, to an art school, like an in-person art school. I got a phenomenal education from Art Center like that I would not trade for anything in the world. That said, though, I think with the resources that are available today, with online education, I feel like I could have gotten the same or a better education for a lot less money. And I did have to take out student loans for Art Center. And 
that the student loans, because of how much I owed, uh, dictated the type of work that I had to do after school just to make the payments on the loan. So it was a great experience. It was a wonderful experience, but also it, it changed so much of my life in a way that was sort of uh, out of my hands. And so for that reason, I think <laughs> I, I went to Art Center when I was 18 and I was really young and I didn't have the financial understanding to think that, oh, okay, taking out, taking out all these student loans is not that realistic and I probably shouldn't do this. And then also, I really enjoyed Art Center, but there are some aspects of that school in particular that I, there were some lessons from Art Center that I had to unlearn after school was over. There was sort of this culture of like, um, like this hustle culture or this work, you know, work all the time culture, or like the only thing that is important is art culture. There's definitely like a work life balance thing at Art Center that is unhealthy in the culture. Okay. And so I had to unlearn that after school. I had to figure out what is what does work life balance mean for me? And yeah, yeah, I had to I had to figure that out. So to to students or to beginner artists that are that are thinking about art school, I would say it's important to do your research and it's important to to look at the cost and really be honest about it. And then um, I would say with the resources that are available today, it, it makes sense to go to a place like CGMA like schoolism, like the new master's academy, like there's other uh, concept uh, art, concept design academy. Well, I, I forgot the name of that one. That's okay. I'll, I'll put them all in the show notes. So Okay, great. Yeah, there are, uh, there are so many amazing online schools uh, and I've taken classes at some of them um, after Art Center. So I don't want to just say as a blanket statement, don't go to art school. <laughs> but if, uh, you know, if you can get... Um, Financial assistance, you know, for sure go. There's there's an aspect of community that's kind of irreplaceable. But everything's online right now anyways, so... Right. And I think there's a lot of sites that do education now, uh, provide courses, also provide that sense of community that ties to it, whether they're using Discord or something baked into it. And so I think there's an opportunity there. Obviously, there's you can't network the same way as you can in person. That's true. And I think that the, the other thing that maybe you pay for when you go to university or college is um, discipline. <laughs> mm. If you don't have that going into it, it's going to be much harder to kind of stay on top of things uh, versus, you know, being sitting in your own house and just thinking, I'm not going to work on it today. You know, no one's really watching me because it's, uh, you know, you move at your own pace through it. So this, the whole self-directed learning, I think, is a challenge for some people too. But that's interesting. Yeah, that's... I guess it's different. People have different learning styles too. Like some people are very much interested in self-directed learning and some people need that classroom environment for sure. And so what was your uh, first gig that you had? Did you go freelance or did you uh, work at a specific company once you... First gig after Art Center? Yeah. Because I did, I did work before Art Center. My first ever art job was in high school. I was uh, commissioned by my school by my school to design a promo piece for their fundraising event. Like, so not a promo piece, like a little card that you would get for attending, like it was called like a gala or something. Okay. So that, that was my first ever art job. I made um, this girl holding an umbrella that looked like a, like a Peter Max style illustration, like super seventies mm-hmm. trippy 
bright colors. Yeah, so that was my first gig ever. My first gig in Art Center is a, a bit of a funny story because I, I tried to start a business when I was still in school, and uh, it was kind of successful, but it all, it, in the end, it didn't last as a company. And so I sort of joined a collective of animators that turned into a company uh, where we did a bunch of motion graphics, music video, um, commercial type jobs. Okay. So my first gig was sort of interning with them and then joining the company. I think I got school credit for a company that <laughs> it was a weird situation. I don't even remember how I pulled it off, but it was like a, it was a job for Toyota, like the, uh, the Pivo, which is like a self parking, like smart mini car. Okay. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seems like an appropriate name. <laughs> yeah. Evo. Something like that. And uh yeah, I, I don't know that I remember what jobs were after that, but I did I did try to work while I was still in school taking classes, like working on legit animation, you know, commercial animation jobs. So yeah, that and I say try because that was a little bit of a juggling act between schoolwork and work work and uh, showing up at at a studio in I think Culver City and then also going to school in Pasadena was a little bit a little bit wild those those two are about a uh, 40 30 40 minute drive depending on traffic and a one to two hour bike slash public transportation ride and for part of that I have a car so uh, that that's right. It's like seven stories in one. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I mean, it's we all take a different route, right? Yeah. And, uh, that's uh, that, that's interesting. I would think that a lot of the, your work now is digital. Yes. Has it always been that way um, through college and then through your first few jobs? Has it always been digital? And we could maybe talk about what you're using now and what you use then. Yeah, the majority. I think even that first job in high school, I ended up uh, working in. Photoshop or something to to color the the piece, and I think every almost every job that I've done since then has been digital. But I think everything that I do that's for myself and developmental or de- um, everything that I use to to develop my skills and everything I use for personal enjoyment has been traditional. So hmm. um, it's been in sketchbooks, it's been on canvases, uh, illustration board. Yeah, I, throughout throughout Art Center, it was all charcoal and um, newsprint for figure drawing, and then oil paints and gouache for landscape painting or like uh, portraiture. And so, you still to this day, when you're working in sketchbooks, you're working with pencil. Are like, are you you doing any oil or is it watercolor? Do you tend towards one or the other? I would love to do oil, but I just don't have the patience for all the. And and this like the safety concerns of like solvents and the toxic paints that you can sometimes get. Like I just don't want to deal with that. Right. But I love I love oil painting. It's if I could ever just get over that and you know see see what supplies I still have and then buy what's missing. I, I would love to paint oils again. But uh, until that day, I've <laughs> I, I've been enjoying gouache a lot. Gouache is my favorite medium. Uh, I have a watercolor sketchbook. That, that I use and uh, I'll do ink drawings in there and I'll do gouache paintings and I'll do watercolor. And do you do these out in the field 
or do you take photos? Because I, I, I think you take quite a bit, quite a few photos <laughs> and quite a few sunsets. Um, yeah, yeah do you uh, do you do this in the field, or do you take pictures then come back and? I one of my favorite things to do is to take my sketchbook and uh, my my little watercolor kit and maybe a few gouache tubes and go to a coffee shop and either paint and draw what's there. Or just doodle and, and come up with something for my imagination. Going out with paints and a sketchbook is probably my favorite thing to do, uh, just being out in, in public. So yeah, absolutely. But I have not done that a lot lately just because of uh, the pandemic and right. and the, the lockdowns and things like that. So not much lately, but it is my favorite thing to do to take my paints outside. Yeah, and I, I appreciate the effort you did. in um, And I mentioned this, I actually included this link in a, in a previous podcast the uh, the video you did uh, with the soundtrack so that people could enjoy this kind of coffee shop experience with the music in the background and just sketch on whatever they're using i thought that was brilliant oh well thank you did you did you uh did you try it did you sketch along i i did i did uh, a couple of sketches um it's one of those things that work is so busy for me uh-huh. in my kind of full-time job that it was one of those things that i'm going to actually come back to in the next two weeks uh, because i'm off but uh, I sketched a couple, and it was it, this felt good because I I also enjoyed before the pandemic sitting in a coffee shop and just sketching, and mm-hmm. uh, it would be a mix of people, but a lot of I do a lot of nature, so it would just be me in a coffee shop with a hustle and bustle and just focusing on doing something in pencil. That's uh, really awesome. I'm glad that you enjoyed the uh, the video. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really good. I watched you. I think before, or is it about the time you released it, you were talking about it live and going through it, and then you released the video, and it was like, this is this is a cool effort. And I agree, like, playing with gouache is great. So I, I, I didn't try watercolor, I think, until last year, and then I tried to make it act like oil, right? And I, did, I, did, I, I didn't take any courses, I didn't do anything, I just went in and thought, well, I'm just going to, it's watercolor. Mm-hmm. And then I really didn't take on that idea that you got to preserve the whites, right? And so I got frustrated and then I realized there's gouache, <laughs> and I was like, "What? Why, why didn't I do this from the beginning?" Um, you know, it's it's fun to do the wet on wet stuff with watercolor, but uh, gouache just gives you that kind of freedom to to manipulate and to to move things around. And so I it's I I, I agree. I enjoy gouache going out with a small kit and your book, and it's good. It's good fun. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Gouache is sort of like watercolor with an undo button <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> or a redo button. and so i know and we'll get into talking about all the procreate but do you do any of that uh when you're in coffee shops or out and about do you have your ipad with you and you do it that way as well or yeah 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 i do um and that'll be well not not lately but uh, uh over the years since i've had the ipad i think i've had it for three years i'll either go take it out to do like a, a more finished piece that I'm working on, or sometimes I'll just do sketching in my iPad. But given the the choice, I think I prefer to do the observational sketching uh, type of stuff okay. with uh, with my sketchbook, with pencils, with ink. Do you still work with Photoshop, or like is is it still a balance? Do you do is there, how does your workflow, what does it look like with regard to if you looked at the, the Procreate on the iPad and Photoshop? Do you start with one and go to the other? Do you work in both equally? How does that work for you now? I think it. I just look at whatever tool is going to be best for whatever particular thing I'm doing. If I'm doing a really complicated animation, 
I'm probably not going to do that on my iPad. Like if, if it's an animation with a lot of characters and a lot of moving parts and a lot of overlapping elements that I want to do on layers, I might use uh, Adobe Animate instead of Procreate. Um, but if, if I'm doing something that's more like... Uh, uh, and just to be clear for your listeners, I do uh, VizDev and illustration, children's books, and animation. Uh, so it, I do a lot of different things. And if, if, if I'm doing like a VizDev or an illustration thing, and it's, it's fairly straightforward and I don't need a lot of... I don't really need my computer, then I'd rather, I'd rather just sit with my iPad. I can take it to the kitchen. I can... Um, you know, go sit on the couch. Like I usually work at this desk with my iPad propped up on a on a setup, right? Um, for for my back. <laughs> yeah, I would say the majority of the time, if I'm doing illustration or VizDev, or maybe doing like a painting study, um, I'll use my iPad like a digital painting study. And then for everything else, if I'm doing like a a client job and it's animation, or maybe I need to do some design that involves a lot of layers and elements. I might use Photoshop for that, but I don't really use Photoshop all that much lately. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of stuff I see you you're I mean you're talking about Procreate and, and all the brushes that you're using. I think obviously when it comes to social and sharing that on social media, it's much easier to capture and share that with Procreate. But I wanted to ask you because I've heard you talk about VizDev before, and I think maybe for the listener, maybe if you can expand on what visual development means as a, as a job, like what's involved with that? How is that different than illustration? Uh, obviously, animation is, I think, clear, but we can get into that as well later. But what's, what's visual development? How, do you, how would you describe that? So visual development is concept art for a film or for um, an animated show, like a, like a TV show. And uh, you basically... If you think about how an animated film gets made, it starts off with an idea which turns into a script. And then in order to sell the script to a um, a big studio to, to make the film, some preliminary art has to be made. So that at the beginning is visual development in order to get the script greenlit and uh, get, get funding behind it. So there's visual development at that stage. And then once the script is you know, approved. It goes through storyboarding and they, the, the, the studio figures out the way everything's going to flow in the story visually. And at the, I haven't worked at this stage exactly, so I'm not sure where VizDev fits in, but it's usually, it's, you know, it's pre-production. It's before you start actually making the, the film with your 3D software and all the rest. Somewhere in that process between storyboarding and the script and, and uh, production is um, another stage of VizDev where you actually figure out what the characters look like, what the what the world looks like, what different key moments in the film look like in terms of lighting and mood. So a visual development artist would work and do all of that stuff. And there's usually a few visual development artists on, on a show. And once again, this is sort of from my outside experience. I've only been involved in the visual development process for projects that are going to green light that are that are that are pitches that are trying to become films okay and i've only done that sort of visual development very recently so i don't have a ton of experience working past that point so it's almost like you're that 13 year old kid again putting together (laughs) the (laughs) the map and the the whole experience right putting together the game Um, yeah 
Yeah, it, some, for um, for some of the jobs, it does feel like that. Yeah. So I'm curious, when you have like two or three artists working on something like that, how does the style come out? Do you have to, do you build it together? Do you adopt someone's style? Is there some kind of Bible that's created to say this is how we're doing it? So for visual, for visual development, I actually don't know the answer to that question, but I have seen it from the outside. I haven't gotten to that point where I'm working with a bunch of visual, different visual development artists, but I have worked on enough like adjacent jobs to kind of, uh, kind of guess, I guess. My experience has been more in like before a film gets greenlit. So, and, and in that, in that experience, the director has come to me with very, very specific style ideas style ideas that relate to shape language and to art that we've that we've seen in 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 the world so like you know let's look at this artist for for this this type of thing that they do you know or let's look at this artist for color also we're the director's coming to you or coming to me as coming to me as an artist and saying you know we love that you do this thing so let's put this in this one thing into uh these designs into these character designs or it was character designs for me, but it could be into these, um, you know, environment designs into whatever, whatever it is. So yeah, it's it's usually pretty uh, spelled out by the director, um, in my experience. But I'm sure that it it kind of depends on the show, and it kind of depends on the director, and it kind of depends on on how many artists are working on on the project. So. Um, yeah, I, I guess I can really only share my experience for that. Yeah, that's uh, that's helpful. I think I've always I'm trying to envision how that would all go down, and I'm sure there's a lot of complexity, and I'm sure in larger studios there's some politics and some tenure that comes into it as well. So, uh, and personalities and all that. But uh, I, I'm it just sounds like a like a fun experience. So is that so you're doing? I mean, when I look at some of your recent work, you know, the thing that I, I've got it up on my screen right now is is the animation you did with the uh, girl walking through the forest and her dog. And you you did that across a few tools, right? And I'm wondering if you can talk about that because I was mesmerized. And I, you know, initially I thought, well, I, I'm going to try some animation procreate. Then you talked about <laughs> how you put it all together. And it's like, hmm, <laughs> I'm going to have to devote a little bit more time if I'm going to take it that route. So maybe if you can talk about how that came about and kind of what tools you use to build that? Because I think that's a, just a fantastic uh, loop of animation. I, uh, thank you, thank you. I, that was hubris. <laughs> hubris <laughs> is what built that. <laughs> I, that was finished in Procreate. And that was, that was the idea because that was a commission for the company, for Procreate. They wanted to have, make some artwork to help sell their upcoming tools, like the, the animation tools in Procreate. Mm-hmm. So I got that job, I got that brief, and my, my thought was like, I want to do something different than what everyone else is doing in Procreate, and also what most people do in animation. And most people do not try to animate a moving background and in depth <laughs> with, with character animation. Like Most people just don't try and do that, and if they do, they use tricks, like they use 3d and they project the background onto the 3d and then that way they don't have to you know break their wrist to paint every frame but i just i really wanted to challenge myself and i really wanted to push the software and make something that is unlike what anyone has made 
in in procreate so far so that was the hubris (laughs) (laughs) that was my hubris so yes it involved a lot of steps i tried to set up a perspective grid i tried to track trees going back in space using um using perspective tricks where you can measure and figure out the distance of things and i i had like one tree like moving back in space and looping and I was like, this is absurd. I'm never going to, I'm going to spend all, the, all this time drawing in perspective and making myself crazy. So I have a background in 3D animation. And so I decided to use my concept design that I made of this piece in the process of making this animation. Procreate asked me to first, you know, make a still image that's, that's the basis for what the, the animated thing will be. So I made that still image and I got that approved. And then I used that concept image to create something in Maya that's a bunch of blocks and cubes and cylinders to rough out the environment and to, to basically make that, that the background loop um, right. in, in a way where the, uh, the camera's pulling back. So yeah, it went from Maya. And then I don't know how to render in Maya. I only ever learned animation. So... <laughs> I rendered out a bunch of elements and masks and things like that that were like solid colors. And then I colored them all in After Effects. And then after After Effects, I sort of I had this very digital but nicely colored to match my design um, sequence. Um, like it was it was colored in a way that it looked like the design, but it was also flat and digital. So I exported that as an image sequence and I brought that into procreate and then i painted over every layer to get the background working and then at the same time i was also doing 2d animation in procreate of the girl and the dog moving and somewhere in that whole process i had to do a bunch of math to figure out that the girl is on a 16 frame cycle and she repeats three times and that the background's on the 24 frame cycle and it repeats twice and the dog is on a 48 frame cycle so <laughs> wow, that, there was just a lot that went into that to making that look like a seamless loop. So when we're looking at this, and I'll provide a link to it, mm-hmm. what what was the part that really frustrated you the most when we're watching through this? Is is it the dog? Is there a certain element that just took the most time in trying to get right? The only thing that was frustrating is I tried to use too many layers in Procreate, which is necessary for something that's layered like this. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of like, like I said, the girl's 16 frames looped three times. So I had to take those 16, once I finished her and I painted her up first, the 16 frames, I had to take those 16 frames and duplicate them in Procreate and then copy them up to their respective like layer folder. It sort of gets really technical, but it's a lot of me staring at my iPad and tapping and dragging and moving and then waiting and then deselecting and tapping and dragging and moving waiting and deselecting so that process was tedious and i didn't like doing that at all the most frustrating part about that was the the technical logistical aspect of it that i didn't anticipate and were you able in procreate to do this in one file like did it support all the layers you needed and yeah, I, ha- I had to do the math at the beginning, uh, determine my file size, and then look at the info and see what the layer limit was. And then look, this is going to get way into math, but looking at 
um, you know, it's a 48 frame animation. So looking at how many layers I can get away with multiplied by 48, but still fitting within that threshold of like, I can only have, let's say it's 250 layers right. total. Um, so I had to, I had to figure that out ahead of time. And then in order to make it all work, I had to, yes, I had to work in multiple files. So the characters were animated in one file. The background was painted in, in another file and then um, things were flattened and then and then merged into like a, a finishing file. Wow. Yeah. Built your own new workflow out of all that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> would you do it again? I wouldn't do it like how I, how I did it. I would probably use, I would definitely use Procreate to animate again because it's so fun. And all the brushes are amazing that you can that you can load into that program. So I think I would do the same thing, but I just wouldn't combine everything in Procreate. I would probably make all my layers and uh, and then export out a PSD and and assemble everything in After Effects afterwards. Do you think if we could just talk about Procreate for a bit, what do you think's coming? What do you think they should do next for that program? I mean, the last I think I forget what last. They called the last update, but it wasn't as big as the one previous to it. What do you think is coming next? Do you think they're going to do more in animation? Do you think, what do you think the program's lacking at this point? Is there any roadblocks for you? Um, I, I don't think that Procreate's really lacking anything at, at the moment. Procreate as a, as a tool is like, is really amazing. I don't really, I use it over almost any other tool for, for images and even for quick animation. So I don't know that there's anything I would necessarily improve upon, but I will like I pretty much just have nothing but praise for that company, both the software that they make and also the community that they foster. They support the artistic community. They're involved in the artistic community and they show up to conventions that they're just like I I've never seen a software company be so involved in 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 all the aspects of the like the industry and the practice that their users take apart take part in so like yeah i i i'm just excited to see the community involvement that they that they're going to do in the future and also they just keep surprising you know me and other people with really great tools like the animation tools so i'm just i'm really excited for whatever they do next like as far as I'm concerned, they can do no wrong. <laughs> right. And, and you're right. I think it's, I keep hoping they're going to ask us for more money because I don't want anything to happen to uh, to Savage Interactive, which I guess is the parent company, right, of Procreate. Yes. And yeah. I just, I wish we could subscribe to it. You know, it's not that I want to spend all my money on it, but I feel like, you know, I paid for this three years ago now, maybe. And they haven't seen any more money from me. And yeah. but I've I've spent a lot on brushes. I would be fine if they had some kind of way to manage the brush packs, for example. And I said this to Maxi Lichney when he was on, like if they had like a brush store and they took fifteen percent of that, but it would be managed so that people couldn't take and steal brush packs and things like that. Uh, it would be a way for them to generate a bit extra ever revenue that I don't think is gonna impact the people who just want to go in and play with Procreate. Mm. Um, it would be good that, and I'm not, I have no, you know, this is just me thinking, I just love the stuff so much. I want to give them more money. And, <laughs> you know, I think when you, uh, when you look at Instagram and you see Georgie doing her demos and, 
her walkthroughs and all that, they just spend so much time, as you say, kind of interacting with the community mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, you, you just, you feel almost like they have your back, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would 100% pay for the upgrades too. Like the, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I hope, like how, how are they making money? They must just keep selling the software. I don't really understand, but if the, the animation update, I would definitely pay for that. Right. 100%. I would have paid for that. I would have paid an extra $10. I might have even paid, you know, up to $50 for an animation update. But also, I'm a professional and it's a professional tool. So yeah. uh, it, it, I don't know that everyone would would feel the same way that 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 I feel, but I definitely agree. Like, I, I, that company is amazing and I would want to support them. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's about services. At some point, they're going to saturate and then they've got to think about. You know, is it a Brushpack app store that they have? Do they allow you to um, store your files online? I'm not sure if that would work because they get so massive, right? Mm-hmm. Or that you, you, your brushes, even if I could just store my brushes, like I think that's, for me, that's one thing that they could fix is if you lost everything on your iPad, you would um, have to rebuild your brush library, right? So if that could somehow be synced, I think that at least that data would be less than syncing my, you know, because I, I back up everything, but, and you can back up your brush library, but it would just be so problematic. And I, you know, it doesn't happen that often. So maybe it's not a concern, but, you know, I would pay an extra little bit a month to know that I've got some kind of backup happening that makes uh, recovery easier. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I agree. I'm anxious to see what they're going to do next. Maybe there's something in iOS 15 that's going <laughs> to be something they can leverage a bit more. Maybe the animation they take a bit further. I don't know. Yes. If, if they did take the animation further, which I, I just have a feeling that they won't do this exactly. But if they made a way to have animation layers in the timeline, that would be that would be a game changer. I would do. I wouldn't use any other program to animate. I would just use Procreate. I don't think that they're gonna do that because I think it's it's mostly like an illustration and um, art program, like a still art program with this animation bonus that's right. that's put on top of it. Um, so I don't think that they're going to do that, but I would love to be wrong and be pleasantly surprised by something like that. So beyond Procreate and everything else you've done, you found time to create a book. <laughs> yeah, uh, the my picture book. Yes, your picture book. Picture book by dog, right? Yes. Well, yeah, it's not, it's not actually my book. It's dog's book. <laughs> right. Um, but I helped out a lot. <laughs> yeah, I watched the little video you have on your website, and I'll provide a link to that. But it's uh, that's kind of fun. So maybe if you can talk through that, because I, I'm, you know, I think as most people who do art or do some degree of illustration, even if they're doing kind of fine art, think about I want to do a book, and I want to do a book about art. So you know, maybe children's book, because there's a lot of art in children's books, right? Mm-hmm. So how did this start for you? What what made you feel that you know what I gotta I gotta make a book? Yeah, I started to get interested in making children's book books because of a few things. I noticed that my style kind of lends itself to a more whimsical, inviting, not childlike, but like a like a friendly kind of kind of vibe. And I thought I started to think that maybe I could do children's books, maybe I'd be a good fit for that. But then I also had this idea that that I don't necessarily know how to influence the world. I want to, I don't know how to put this. I want to have an impact 
uh, in the world in some way. And I want to um, just sort of share aspects of my worldview and things that I think about socially. I want to leave a, a positive impact on, on the world in some way. And, and I thought that maybe children's books would be a good, a good place to start because I remember reading children's books when I was younger that, that stuck with me to this day. And so I kind of wanted to do that. I want to make something that could potentially have an impact on someone who's young, who then grows up and, and wants to also, I don't know, share this, this positivity, this love that, that they, you know, not that I'm going to make a book that is going to, you know, change the world or, you know, change people's lives or whatever. But I, that's kind of, that's a little far-fetched, but I do want to make something that, that has an impact. And so I started to seriously think about children's books and that would be a good way to, to go about that. So yeah, I, the, the picture book by dog started with that idea, with that thought. I signed up for a convention. I signed up for CTN with, with Max Ulichny, who you had on your show. And, um, a few other friends, Henry DeLeon and Matt, uh, and EJ Kang, um, who, are, who are my close friends. They're wonderful. And we signed up, and a few of us had some idea of what we're going to sell at this convention, but I had no idea. <laughs> and I challenged myself. I said, I'm going to make a picture book by this convention, which I think was like six months out or five months out or something like that. And so I just... It came about by me showing up at a coffee shop or just waking up early and sitting down at my desk and trying to figure out how to make a picture book for an hour or two every morning before work for a month. Eventually, I hit on something. Like I showed a couple sketches to my friends, and I actually had these really fleshed out ideas that were about these animals in a forest and this, these birds that were talking to each other and all, all kinds of wild ideas. And then I had this really, really dumb drawing of a dog holding a book in its mouth. And he, said, he has a speech bubble and he's like, I made this for you. And I showed them the, all these fleshed out ideas and then I'm like, yeah. And then there's also this little sketch you guys want to <laughs> see. And they all, they all fell in love with the sketch. They're like, that's such a good idea. You have to make that. And I was like, what? whoa, really? Okay. Like, so I'm glad I did this gut check. And I'm glad that I have these friends that I'm very grateful for and who like give me super honest feedback. And like, I, I was surprised that this is what they responded to. So I, I revisited it and eventually, uh, yeah, I worked it into a story. It did not make the cut for CTN for the, that convention okay. because it takes much longer to take a children's book than just a few months. Right. And it takes way considerably longer to get one published, like years longer even when you have a finished story. So, but regardless of whether or not it made it to the convention, eventually made it to shelves. So yeah, that, um, that, that ended up working out. So that, that was the idea. I can definitely talk about like the whole process of making it and talking to publishers and stuff too, if you want to. Yeah. Like I think that would be helpful. And maybe if we can just get a, like, so what's the book about? Oh, um, I was like, I can show you, but I realize this is a <laughs> podcast. So I can't, it's okay. But it's, um, it's a story that's written from a dog's perspective. I, I had that silly drawing of a dog holding a book and I was like, Oh, that'd be so cute. If a, if a dog, you know, if a pet, was like look what i made while you're at work but uh the the book kind of shaped it, it shaped up and it got the, the heart of the book because i at the same time or shortly after or shortly before i don't remember 
I was volunteering at my local animal shelter, working with dogs and trying to learn learn more about about dogs, like how to how to handle handle dogs, how to like talk to people who are looking to adopt and um, find the right fit for for people who are adopting dogs. And I started to imagine what it would be like to be in a shelter, and what it what it must be like to be a to be a dog in a human world in a city. And it's probably pretty weird. Like you can't just run around wherever you want. You can't just you know find your pack and run through the streets. Like you're gonna if you're if you're a wild dog in the city, like you're gonna maybe get hit by a car. You're maybe going to get a disease. You, you know, like you could you know have a litter of pups that you can't take care of. Like there's it's it's probably pretty wild to be a dog living in a human world and so i tried to write the book from that perspective like what is it like and so the book is is that it's basically a dog it's a story about a dog that writes a picture book for his uh not his the dog doesn't have a gender for their or it doesn't have a it's not descriptive in the book um dog's journey of living on the 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 streets basically and then being helped out at a shelter and then eventually finding the, uh, their family, their person um, written from the dog's perspective and also illustrated from the dog's perspective. So when you crack open the book, there's a more rendered finished version of the, of, of the dog illustrated holding like a crayon between uh, their paws, like sort of <laughs> scribbling on a page and doing really crude drawings of themselves uh, at a shelter or whatever it is. Um, That's cool. Yeah, so that's that's what, I guess that's a very long-winded version of the synopsis of the book. Yeah. So when you were creating this, did you go to the traditional route with getting it published? Did you think about Kickstarter? Like, so what was that kind of conversation you had in your head when you got to the point of of having? Because you wrote and illustrated, which you had outlined the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe talk about that because you know I, I've had people talk about the books they've done, and you know in some cases they've gone to Kickstarter, in some cases it's been published. I'd like to hear a bit more about about that and why it went one direction over the other. Yeah, um, for sure. I so I got I got the book to a good place in sort of like a sketch form, like a, I made like a like a PDF of it where I wrote out all the text and I drew all the images and I laid it out in a PDF and I illustrated a spread or two so that if somebody glanced at the book at the PDF, they would say, "Oh, I can see this is a real book," and then with that document i was like okay this is as far as i can take it without with having zero knowledge of the publishing world and having zero knowledge of kickstarter and all these other like self-publishing so i started doing research i watched a bunch of youtube videos there was a youtube video by sav brown who's like a who's a poet on youtube and she she self-published a book that i i don't remember the number but it sold like a a a crazy amount of copies and she self-published and she self-distributed like she had books stacked all around her apartment. So I just, I looked into a lot of different avenues for, for turning this, um, this story that I had basically as a, as a PDF that I can pitch into an actual book. So I looked at Kickstarter. I looked at self-publishing through Amazon. I looked at self-publishing through other sources. And then I looked at the more traditional publishing route. I guess I decided uh, on traditional publishing because I got really lucky. I had this PDF and I just started sending it to children's book illustrators that I met that I had a little bit of a rapport with. It wasn't like a complete cold call, but it was like, Hey, this is this, um, 
this book I'm making, what do you think? What should should I uh is is it working? What what would be your opinion on um on this book? What do you have any ideas about like uh finding an agent? Uh what what do you think I should do next? Like I was just very left these very open questions for these illustrators that I've met. And um one of them loved the book. A few of them didn't even respond, so which is fine. Like I didn't yeah. know them that well. One of them uh loved the book and he's like, Hey, is it okay if I show this to my agent? I was like, yeah, of course it's okay if you show it to your agent. Like, that'd be great. Please do. And so uh, he did. And then his agent got in contact with me and asked if uh, if I wanted him to represent me. And uh, I said yes. And we, we had the long sort of uh, conversation and went through contracts and sort of, I asked a ton of probably really basic publishing questions that most people who are in this industry should know. And he was very patient explaining all these things to me. Oh, yeah. The, um, from there, the traditional publishing route, um, he pitched my book to, I, I don't know how many, because like it's a bit of a black box what agents actually do. Right. Uh, <laughs> it's just magic, right? It's magic. Yeah. yeah. So he worked his magic. He did some wizardry. And we got two bids from, from two different uh, publishers. And we talked with them both on the phone. And we looked over the numbers. And there was just a clear choice. To go with uh, little little brown uh, books for young readers. Okay. So they ended up. Uh, we signed a contract with them, and then that was uh, that began. I thought that was the end. Like, okay, now I just make the art and it's over. But that began the actual process of publishing a book, which was um, revisions to to the story, a lot of editing, um, revisions to the layout revisions to even the size of the book like there was a lot of things that we went through a lot of a lot of hoops a lot of steps but it made it a better it made it a much much better book i had a, my editor that i worked with uh, andrea spooner she is the most amazing editor i could i could have never hoped for like um i don't actually i don't know how to phrase this um just <laughs> an amazing editor like i was very very lucky to work with her so and so from a time perspective like how long did it take you to get from nothing to that pdf that you circulated and then what's what's the time then from that pdf to the book being in print right i think from from the earliest sketches like from sitting down at the coffee shop and being like children's book okay (laughs) what do i do (laughs) to having that pdf it was probably it probably took me um gosh i don't remember somewhere in the range of three to six months okay but i but i'm not exactly sure and it wasn't there was a lot of mornings before work and weekends, uh, like, you know, a few hours on the weekend working on it. And then there was also like, I took some vacation in there and I took some time away from it. So I'm not, I'm not sure like actual dedicated working time, um, but somewhere in that range of three to six months for the PDF. And then after sending it out, after, after that, the whole process with finding an agent and getting a publisher and getting it published was probably somewhere in the range of two to two and a half years. Wow. So okay. I, I'm sorry, I got the agent and I got the publisher very relatively quick in a few months, which is not, I don't think it's too normal. I think that's, uh, I was very, very lucky. From that point, it was about two years until the book was on shelves. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's good, good to keep in mind for people who are considering this because you know, sometimes I, f- I find this happens a lot with creatives. I mean, it happens to a lot of other people as well, but you're always looking for the thing that it's, and it, I mean, it could be as simple as these aren't the right pencils for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Right. And people need to be mindful that something like creating a book takes a lot of time. You, you know, you're talking three, four years, maybe uh, maybe at a good scale, mm-hmm. right? From from your initial idea to maybe publishing, uh, going the traditional route. And so I, I, people need to be mindful that you, even though people have maybe pushed you back or even when you went to your friends and said, I have all these great ideas of birds that talk in the woods. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, because you had you didn't have that filter on you were just throwing things down on paper they went with the idea that you didn't think would would fly necessarily as well as mm-hmm. the other quite literally <laughs> the birds would fly and the dog would not but uh, <laughs> they ended up going that route and that's what brought you to where you are so i think you know there's a lesson in there for creatives to understand things take time mm-hmm. and to put all your de- ideas down uh, regardless of what you think they may be and i think the other thing that i that i find really interesting i mean you seem like such a nice guy and you seem like you're so connected to your friends and you've got that relationship with them to be able to ask them questions and receive feedback that mm-hmm. I think community is a, is such a big part. And I wanted to talk to you really about mentors and, and, and connections with people because it seems like you've leveraged that through a lot of what you've been doing, right? That, you know, you do a lot of the work by yourself, but you're you're doing it as a 13-year-old with a friend of yours, mm-hmm. or you're doing it now where you're sharing this story and you're sending a PDF out to a bunch of people that you <laughs> may never hear from, yeah. but you've got the circle of friends now. Do you think that's... Can you talk a bit about that and how, how that's impacted you? Uh, do you feel that gives you a good foundation moving forward when you consider new projects as they're coming along as well? Yeah, I, I think it's hugely important for me and probably for other artists as well to just find a a circle of trust someone people that you can share ideas with i think it gets you know in in your own head you can you can have a great idea that for whatever reason you don't think is a is a great idea until you put it out there and you you see that like other people resonate with it like uh I don't know if it's a confidence thing or if that's just how people are, but too often, I, you know, in my own experience, a good idea becomes like a great idea when I see that it has some resonance with other people, um, because that's what we're trying to do with our art. We want, we want other people to see it. Like we're not make, we're not uh, Henry Darringer. We're not just sitting in a basement making a bunch of art that you don't want anyone to ever see in in your in your life you know we don't don't want people to discover our art after we're dead like we want people to see them and so there's uh there's a huge that's that's a huge part of of the process and then uh, by this the same kind of idea sometimes we think that we have the best idea in the world in our head we put it down and we're like, yeah, okay, this is working. And then maybe you show it to a few people that you really trust. And they're like, I don't get it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, I think that that's, that's so important. It's been so important to me. And actually, I'm really glad that you brought up like making video games with my friend and connecting that to like my circle of friends now. Like I, I hadn't actually thought about that connection in my life. And so I think that's definitely something that I can, that I can think about going forward just like looking at that that theme of like being creative and being creative with other people in my own life it's i don't think it's something that i've really like thought about that much but yeah 
I, I think I got lost from the question no, no, I th- <laughs> or, or what, what we were talking about. <laughs> no, I didn't mean to. I mean, it's good that you, uh, I'm glad that that made a connection. And I think that, I think that's the struggle we have with even social media, right? It's, it's hard because you want to let Instagram in to your house, right? You want Instagram <laughs> sitting at the table to say, hey, Instagram, I think this is a good piece of work I did. What do you think? And people come on and. And, you know, I don't get a lot of trash talk at all on Instagram, and I really don't get any, any on Twitter. I think I'm just too small right now to mm-hmm. <laughs> to have gained that uh, level up experience. But, you know, th- there are times when you post something and it's like, I thought that would get more traction. And it's not fun to have social media at the table when you've got, you, you can't let Instagram, Tumblr, whatever you choose to use into your circle of trust. Yes, I think there's a distinction and I think a lot of people get caught up in social media and the the desire for that kind of gratification. And I think that there's a distinction between people that you know personally that you can trust and Instagram. Like and and it's true, you don't want to let Instagram into your circle of trust because Instagram is a platform that has its own interests. It wants people on the platform all the time interacting with it as much as possible so things that you make that do that exact thing are going to be more popular that th- than things that you make that you might necessarily really love and sometimes they overlap but sometimes they don't so i think it's kind of dangerous for artists to put so much stock in how many likes something gets or how much exposure something gets on social and it's so much more important in my opinion to just find authentic connections with other artists with other people and be honest with them like like tell them what you think about their work and hopefully they tell you what what they think about your work and to form real friendships that's so much more important than than likes on social media yeah yeah i would agree with that and uh you know i think what i really enjoy about looking at your art your website and your instagram and all that is it just it feels genuine like it it it's consistent you know, when I scroll through my Instagram feed, I don't need to look at the title to know it's yours. So you do have a very distinct style and, you know, the soft colors, and the warm colors. I mean, it's probably the California influence with a lot of that. But, Definitely. you know, it's, and I've heard people talk about their portfolio as well. Like the stuff that's on your website is, it's stuff that you've done, right? But it's not just that, it's the stuff that you want to do, right? You're not going to post stuff that you've done that you don't want to do again is that consistent with like you've got your you know a character design your illustration is that safe to say that that's the kind of stuff you want to be doing uh yeah yeah i'd I'd say so um about three or four years ago i guess i completely redid my website i'm i'm really bad at keeping track of time so like every time i've estimated time doing this interview it's been like three to six months one to five years like i (laughs) I don't remember exactly, but it was about three or four years ago, I decided I wasn't getting the work that I wanted to get from, from freelance, and I wanted to be a lot more specific. So I, on my web, I only put up the type of work that I want to get going forward on my website, and I cut out a bunch of other stuff, a bunch of jobs that look really legit and really professional, but were not necessarily the type of work that I was aiming to do going forward. So yeah, I definitely tailored my website and my social media stuff to more accurately reflect the work that I want to do. Nice. So one more question on the book, and you can choose not to answer this (laughs) because uh, 
I I know that uh, you know there's there's book deals and sometimes there's multi book deals. Having done your book, would you do another one? Oh yes, yeah. Uh, I am planning on doing another one. Um, okay. I have a few ideas in the works that were more or less derailed by the pandemic, okay. um, by COVID, because the, I wrote a few stories for this world that I knew. I knew the world to be a world where I could go run around and, and be free and not have to worry about breathing someone else's air. And the world changed a lot since uh, the beginning of the year. And I sort of struggled to adjust for in my personal life and in my art. I'm still kind of figuring it out. So the stories that I wrote were for a different world than, <laughs> than what we have now. Um, but so that's like getting a little a little off the question, but I I do I am still writing and I am still coming up with new ideas for books. I just don't know when that's gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I what I really like about the book is that, you know, you're talking about adoption, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of animals that visit the SPCA and, you know, if you've got the capacity and you've got the knowledge, you can make a real difference there. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you know, you're you're a person that's connected to people, connected to change, to you know, to try them as you said earlier, to try to leave an impact on the world, make things better. Mm-hmm. In having the pandemic hit us, has it changed you in how you're looking at things now? Has it derailed you? Has it caused additional focus? Uh, did you feel more pressure as a creative uh, through the pandemic? Like, how is a how is that? impacted you for somebody who is concerned about having a positive impact on people on the environment i think it just derailed me uh in my personal life mostly like yeah i I definitely took a took a hit to my productivity and my general sort of mood and everything when the when this pandemic hit and i'm on the other side of that now like i'm in a much better place Um, i'm feeling pretty good but i think just that sort of personal life struggle really sort of i stopped i kind of stopped making art at all for several months for like four months or something at the start of this whole thing so i i really had to like figure out what what was happening in my life personally and and make some changes and uh yeah i i I don't know if this answers your question specifically because you, you were asking more about like uh big picture like social and putting putting those ideas out in the world but i guess i want to like answer that about more like me personally and i i sort of realized about me personally during the pandemic that like i do not function very well without structure and so if i have time off work i was i was able to like cope with that when i could like go out and go to coffee shops and like you know kind of keep things a little lively but now that i don't have that and without any structure I, I tend to like default to kind of not doing anything or like just like thinking about things that i want to do and not actually doing them so i've noticed that as an issue that i need to figure out and i'm like in the process of like basically giving myself a schedule every day right regardless of whether or not i freelance work like i just give myself a schedule in the morning and all the way through the end of the day. And then at the end of the day, I do whatever I want. But um, I found that for whatever reason to be enormously helpful. And 
it's something that I probably wouldn't have figured out about myself if it were not for this uh, this struggle. Have you made time for your artist friends? Have you done anything there in you know drawing together or anything like that? Has that been uh, something you've done to kind of make up that challenge of not seeing people in person? Not really. I think, uh, well, sort of. It's like a yes and no uh, question. Yes, I have made time for like for my artist friends, but it's mostly just been like Zoom calls and we'll have a drink together <laughs> or we'll hang out and talk and catch up. Right. So it's been mostly that. And we haven't done a ton of um, like drawing together online or anything like that. I have been doing that with my Discord community. Um, I started a Discord during Lightbox and it just sort of blew up into this kind of, you know, this like group, this pretty big group of, of people that all, you know, now hang out online together a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I just sort of occasionally drop in um, there and do like a, like, hey, let's do a photo study together, guys. Like um, I've been doing art with that community and then I've been spending a lot of time with my artist friends, but not really doing art with them, like just more like hanging out. And then um, occasionally, like the same group of, of friends, like we send each other stuff when we're working on stuff, like through text and, you know, hey, what do you think of this? How's this going? So yeah, kind of yes and no, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> How much of an impact was the virtual light box on you and your work and your success? Because it, uh, you know, I think they did such a fantastic job in setting that up and creating, uh, you know, the Discord uh, opportunities for artists and um, you know your talk was amazing uh, so Thank well you. done did it have a big impact on you uh, yeah I think it, it definitely had a big impact on me um, first of all the expo was amazing like it was a uh, it turned into like this very emotional experience of like connection with all these other artists that I didn't think was possible for an online convention and so I was just sort of blown away at, at how, I guess, how kind of real it felt, even though I was just sitting in this room behind my computer for, for the entirety of it, running to the kitchen for food occasionally. It, it almost felt like a real convention in that way where I'm like, oh, I just streamed, you know, and then now if it were at a, at a real convention, it, it would feel like oh, I just tabled for a while and then I went to go run and watch uh, Nathan Fox's talk and now I'm back over here and I want to meet up with my friend. It it felt like that, but it felt like the online equivalent where I'm behind my computer for like five or six hours doing all these different events and then I'm like, oh man, I forgot to eat today. I need to go, <laughs> I need to go grab some food real quick. So yeah, that was a, that was an amazing experience and it really felt like a like a like a real convention. Yeah, it was. Uh, I found it even hard just trying to keep track of who's next and what to go watch. And yeah, same. Uh, Me too. Yeah, it was. And then you've got the whole Discord thing happening. That engine is just running through the whole thing, right? As yeah. people are off doing their thing, and then you're coming back. Yeah. Now, this one additional thing I wanted to ask you about that I've noticed you've been doing with uh, your partner, where you're doing a little bit of portraiture. Mm-hmm. As she's interviewing people, so this mm-hmm. is something you're doing with Lara, mm-hmm. uh, with Lara, Lara, mm-hmm. and is that? It just seems like you're having fun in the background. Like, yeah. you want to you want to talk about that? That seems pretty cool. Yeah, Lara has a history of like um, interviewing artists. It's something she's taken upon herself, and also 
uh, studied a little bit in school. So she she just has interviewed a, a bunch of people for a bunch of different. I think she worked in the, on the in the newspaper at her school and uh, at at her college, and then also just interviewed uh, recording artists, musical artists uh, for herself, just for her own enjoyment, finding out more about them, and then also for a few. Uh, or for one, um, an organization that's called Sidewalk Talk on YouTube. Okay. And then after uh, she finished what she was doing with them and, and sort of moved on to do more of her own thing, she started to come up with ideas for like different interview series. And uh, I'm not sure if it was her idea or my idea, but we were kind of sitting around one day and she was coming up with ideas. And one of us suggested like, oh, you know, like, let's, like, would it be cool if, like, you know, you you did a portrait of the person and I did the interview? And I was like, yeah, that, you know, that's that's like that's a really cool idea. What would we call it? And we came up with all these funny names and like one of them was Profile Pick, I think, or something. And yeah, and then eventually we just decided, you know, we made it a real thing and we just we lined up a few people. We contacted a few people. We got the whole setup working. Did a bunch of tests. Actually, the shotgun mic that I'm using right now to record this uh, thing, this uh, this uh, sorry, this uh, podcast. Yeah, we, we bought it because we we had this idea so long ago. We thought we were going to do these interviews in person. Okay, and uh, <laughs> and film it film it with real cameras as opposed to webcams. So we had this idea quite a while ago, and then it sort of shifted. And uh, yeah, now several months later, we we are finally doing it like over over Zoom. That's it's, cool. It's, it's been really fun. I enjoy Lara asks really good questions. Um, she gets uh, really interesting responses out of people, and uh, she's a good conversationalist in in general. Right. And I contribute here and there with the with the conversation. For the most part, I'm just sitting there and drawing. And uh, I that sounds like an ideal time for me. Like <laughs> I, there have been so many times where I've shown up to social situations, and everyone there is cool with me drawing and and. I'm sort of tangentially involved in the conversation, but I'm just doing my own thing and drawing, and that's a uh, that's a good life for me. I enjoy that. So, the, so the, these YouTube videos, I'll I'll provide a link to them. They're quite good, and uh, it is. It's like you're just sitting in the background, just hanging out. You just do your interview, and I'm going to draw this picture of this person. So we see it, like you're doing it through Procreate, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we see it in real time as you're sketching this person that uh, she's interviewing. I think it's great. Uh, no, thank you. Like it's a fun uh, application of your skills for both yeah. of you. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's really what we're looking to do. It's just like how do we combine these? Two? So, I wanted to ask you as well. What's a normal day for you? Like, what would be a perfect day for you getting up in the morning? Actually, I have that at the forefront of my mind because I've been putting together this schedule for myself and like tweaking it and tuning it and trying to make it perfect. So, I can tell you, like, exactly, like <laughs> I can tell you from. 7 a.m. until midnight, <laughs> what, it, what it looks like. And uh, it's uh, 7 a.m., my alarm goes off, and I sleep until 7.30 because, you know, I just hit the alarm. I wake up. Uh, I do uh, pull-ups on, on my pull-up bar and, like, uh, any other exercise I feel like doing, but pull-ups is, like, the minimum. I have a little notepad on my phone where I talk, where I, not, I don't talk, I uh, write what I'm grateful for. It's called just like it says gratitude at the top, and I just list things that I'm grateful for because I want I want to start my day with some positivity, right. and then morning routine: wash face, brush teeth, 
you know, all, all the all the normal stuff, and then coffee, without a doubt, I love coffee. And then, um, regardless of what I have going on that day, if it's freelance or if it's nothing, I try and do an hour of a of a study of some kind, like either drawing study or a painting study. It's been photo studies lately, but I prefer to, I prefer to paint from life. But it's just take what you can get. So, mm-hmm. and that puts me at ten a.m. So then at 10 a.m., I either have work, like I'll freelance for jobs where I work 10 to 7, or I'll work on my own stuff. And during this time, it'll be, I'll either work on picture book stuff. I have some educational stuff I'm trying to figure out right now. So I might work on that, or maybe it's like a character design or whatever it is I, w- I want to work on. Freelance, of course. Got to pay the bills. Right. <laughs> and then uh, lunch, with, lunch with my girlfriend. We live together. Uh, so having lunch with her is always awesome and I'll cook pretty infrequently cause I'm really bad, but she's an amazing cook. <laughs> she cooks, I'll do the dishes. That's um, <laughs> a good trade off. <laughs> good trade off. And then, uh, yeah, just working on art projects. This is my ideal day. So in my ideal day, I would spend some time with my girlfriend at the end of the day. I would, uh, spend some time with some friends. If, uh, if it's now time, it would be on zoom. If it was, if it's something else, maybe at like a bar, grab a drink, spend some more time working on art, anything that I missed. Like if I didn't do a study that day, or if I didn't do anything creative or imaginative, at least 15 minutes, 30 minutes in my sketchbook or doing a study, do some reflection, do some writing just about my day, read the news, see what happened watch a movie, spend some time with my girlfriend, go to sleep. That would be... Oh, and video games somewhere in there. I don't know where exactly, but I love, I love playing video games. So uh, what, what video games are you playing right now? Also, oh, actually, I'll get to that question, but also okay. going outside because it's very important. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for go outside. There. Going outside, going for a walk, <laughs> ideally sketching something outside because I really enjoy doing that. I just, if my day is filled with art, I'm so happy. That's so, awesome. Yeah, and video games. Uh, I played a ton of Overwatch in my time. Okay, like, way too much Overwatch, hundreds of hours. And uh, recently, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven came out, so I've mm-hmm. been playing. I've been playing that way too much lately. Yeah, I'm going to give that one a shot. I play a lot of uh, Call of Duty on my iPad. I'm I'm guilty of that, but uh, nice. Yeah, it's. Uh, I used to build my own gaming PCs back twenty years ago, and things have gotten a little bit easier now to be able to connect with people and play but and the games mm-hmm. have gotten much harder and 2077 looks uh, pretty incredible so i keep saying 2017 <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a great it's a great game it's a i think that released it's a little bit buggy but mm-hmm. i'm having so much fun playing it so so out of out of everything that you talked about through your day one of the elements reminded me of something that happened in a previous uh, podcast and that is this idea of writing something positive at the beginning of the morning or at the beginning of the day, I should say. And I think that's pretty cool that you do that. And I think more people need to be doing that. This person I had on is a cancer survivor and she created a site called gruntled.ca. You know, it's the opposite of disgruntled. (laughs) And she just, she does simple line art, but she does this, in the morning to reflect on the previous day and she writes something she draws something positive about the previous day and posts it on her site and i thought and this person isn't necessarily like she's not an artist as a live you know this isn't her living this is just a way that she expresses herself and i just think it's cool to hear from somebody who's done as much as you have um and who has probably a 
fairly full schedule with art that you have an opportunity to sit down and reflect on the gratitude and and be thankful for the things that you have. I think that's pretty cool. I think we should all do that, especially in this in this time, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's really cool. I really want to check that out. You said it's gruntled? Yeah, so I'll um I'll send you a link. She's she used to be a software developer and she just started doing this and decided she's I think done 980 days in a row or something like that. Wow. So it's That's so uh, cool. It is cool. It they're really not complex drawings, but they're really personal to her, and she doesn't really care if anyone says anything. She doesn't post them to Instagram. She posts them to her site. <laughs> she doesn't really care what people think. It's just a way that she kind of looks back on her day and and says what was positive yesterday. And sometimes it's just food. <laughs> One of them was French toast, and I'm thinking I love French toast. <laughs> yeah. So well, it's that's, pretty cool. That that is uh that's super cool. Yeah. Um, rental. Uh, what's her what's her name her name is andrea ross andrea ross that's that's really exciting i'm I'm excited to look into it yeah i'll uh, i'll share the link with you and uh uh, she was on a local news story here that's how i discovered her was talking about what she was doing yes you know in the journey that you've had if someone's listening to this and is interested in illustration or animation what kind of tips would you have for them if they want to pursue a career in in illustration or animation, is there any um, bits of insight that you think people could use in, in trying to, I think, you know, try to move themselves forward, but also stay motivated? Hmm. Yeah, motivation is, is something that, that, that I, I struggle with sometimes. Um, and like I said uh, earlier, I've been doing this like whole schedule thing, like just to give myself some structure and for whatever reason, just seeing that um, consistency for me is is really motivating and I feel like drawing every day if I have that that consistency. So that's one thing and and that's something that I've talked to students about before is um your work doesn't have to be perfect. Sometimes it's it's more important just, you know, just to show up and and try. Just to show up and and do and do some work. And uh something that's a little more specific is uh I would I would say that the foundation stuff the f- foundational drawing, foundation, foundational painting, um, being able to draw in perspective, being able to draw anatomy, being able to understand and work with gesture and storytelling in your drawings, understanding color, color harmonies, value, relationships, uh, design of all those elements together. That Having that understanding can translate to anything that you want to do. Like It's called foundation because it's the foundation of any good art education like it's the it's the minimum and it's the base and it's something you build upon and i have noticed that i was able to pick up animation in 3d because i was drawing poses in the computer because i had a strong um, drawing foundation i was able to figure out how to do viz dev and character design because i could draw because i could draw because i could draw characters i could draw people i think it's easy if you get too far into foundational uh, traditional drawing and painting and you really want it to serve something else, sometimes it's easy to get lost in perfecting that craft, perfecting that technique. But I think if you look at it in context of something that is foundational for any other type of art pursuit you, you can do, um, I think it's so incredibly helpful to study those things, to get really uh, confident and really practiced in drawing and painting hmm. is, is basically what I think um, is the advice I, I would give, I guess. Um, okay. And then 
the day-to-day of that is what I talked about earlier. Like, just show up and do it. It's not always going to be pretty. It's not always going to be perfect. You're going to have bad days, but what's not, it's not the bad day isn't important. The day after the bad day is important. Like, even though it was a bad day, you, you still try again the next day. Because uh, the earlier you get things wrong, um, the, the sooner you're going to, you know, fail and figure out what, how not to, how not to get it wrong, how not to, how to do it better. Next. Right. And so I'm going to put you on the spot on this one. Yeah. <laughs> so in all your years, in doing the work you've been doing, what do you think has been the most kind of memorable or important advice you've received from somebody? Um, I, I remember, well, I, I just talked about um, foundation and I mentioned storytelling briefly, storytelling and drawing. And uh, I think storytelling is the, is the thing that connects everything that, that I'm interested in. So I did get a piece of advice from a Pixar storyboard artist who visited Art Center and gave a talk. I can't remember I can't remember who it was, which is a shame. But I was just I was just so engrossed in, in what he was saying and, and the, the message that he was giving. And and he you know what, I, I can only paraphrase right now, but he he said something along the lines of like uh that storytelling is really more important than than anything else in film, in, in making an animated film. And that like it should, it should be a focus for most artists who are interested in going like into entertainment and into into a storytelling uh, medium, into a storytelling career. And so I, I guess I, I kind of took that to heart, and I, I read, uh, like, I wish, I wish I had, I remember, I wish I remembered who it was and the exact thing that he said. I know I have it in a sketchbook somewhere, but I read a bunch of books on storytelling. I read Story by. Robert McKee, after I, after I saw that talk, uh, I think he recommended Understanding Comics. Um, so I read Understanding Comics, which, was, which is like the best book on visual storytelling and um, sequential narrative. And then I also read Save the Cat, I think that same, that same year after I saw that talk. Okay. And it was great advice because I really felt the connection in every single uh, pursuit, every single art pursuit. That I was that I was taking, and how story was under underlying in it, in everything. Like if I improved my storytelling abilities, I was able to put it in my drawings. I was able to put it in my poses and animation. I was able to put it into sketches and cafe sketches and in in keyframe art and character design. So that that was probably the one of the bigger pieces of advice or moments where I took someone's advice and applied it to, to what I was doing. That's really good advice. I, I see it in your work, and it's you don't see it all the time, but you do see these points when you look at someone's piece, and that when you look at it, you can't see before and after that time point. It, it mm. it's really narrow. But I look at a piece you did one recently of you and your girlfriend driving on a highway with the sunset, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. for me, what's great about that is you drew it as a point in time, but the way you did it allows me to kind of interpolate what what happens before and after that. And I think that's mm-hmm. what's really enjoyable about some art is that it, it provides a glimpse beyond that point in time that it represents. And I think you do a really good job of that. Well, thank you. That's very flattering to, to hear that, that you, you see that in my artwork. I'm, yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> that makes me really happy. That's good. I, I think it's, uh, and I'll include links to all those books you mentioned, because I think that 
would be valuable for someone who's kind of investigating and going on their journey. Some of these, some of the books you mentioned, I hadn't heard before, so I'll provide oh, awesome. links to all of them as well. And I'm uh, I'm a real hound for for these books <laughs> around art and around story. And nice. uh, I, I that's that's pretty cool. So I want to ask you what I ask every guest, and that is for a little bit of homework for the person listening and thinking about what can I do differently? What can I try tomorrow or later today? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I'm wondering what homework you would have for them. I remember uh, us talking about this in, in emails or in DMs or something. And I had, I have a few, but I have one that I have one that um, I thought would be cooler than the other ones. So do you want, do you want me to, to say a few or do you want me to just, just leave you with one? If you have two, I <laughs> think that would be good. And maybe, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I'm not going to say okay. start with the cooler one, but I'll leave it up to you to, uh, <laughs> to lay them out. Okay, I'll, I'll start with the cooler one. Uh, I think I think that this is cool. So I have a piece on my Instagram that is from a town in Italy called Mont St. Angelo. And it's it's two people sort of waving at each other in this really interesting architecture. Um, and that piece came from a moment that I had there when I was traveling. I love to travel and I find it really inspirational to, to just have new experiences in new places. There's, there's nothing quite like that feeling. And so what I did in that moment, and I'll get to the actual homework thing, I promise. What I did in that moment is I felt this, I felt this feeling of being there and existing in that moment. And I got out my watercolors and my, um, and my pencils and I made notes of like the lighting and the color. And I did really quick sketches that were like, a minute and there were thumbnails and I did really quick sketches of details in the architecture. And I took, I took photos from different angles. I took pictures of myself in the scene. And then I took all that material back onto my iPad, back to our Airbnb that night. Uh, Laura and I were traveling and we had a, we had an Airbnb and between that night and the next night, I kind of constructed something that felt like that moment based on the pictures, based on the, the color sketches. And so the homework assignment that, that I came up with is to do exactly that. Obviously, be safe, you know, wear masks, social distance, like don't, don't, don't put yourself in unnecessary risk. But even if it's just outside your window or just in your neighborhood, like somewhere where you can be safe, just ref reflect on a moment where you, you really enjoy being in that moment or there's something about that moment that's really emotional maybe it's sad maybe it's happy but there's something that is very memorable about being there and, and you have this thought with like i don't i don't want to forget this. or this is so beautiful or wh whatever it is some kind of impression and then make sure you have your paints or markers or whatever it is where you can take some accurate color notes even if it's just writing it down the sky was blue but it it shifted towards cyan and it got sort of gray at the horizon that's that's very LA. <laughs> uh, just making as many notes as you can in order to bring material back and make a studio painting from it. And I mean a studio painting, like something that is done in your studio from, from notes that you've taken. So it would ideally look like this. You go out with paints or with your iPad or with your phone or whatever it is, and you do a little quick painting of the scene that you want to and then with that quick painting because that's a, that's an accurate impression you're not going to get an accurate impression about how you felt about the colors there from a photo 
but take the photos to get your details later to, to, you know, to build upon your sketch and also do a little bit of drawing to say like, oh, I really love this tree over here. Like these branches twisted in this cool way or like, or like, look at all these ants underneath the, you know, running, running around the, the base of the tree. Like the, I'll, I'll draw a little ants for a moment, like whatever it is. And then take all those materials back and then spend some time to make a studio painting. If you're worried about time, I would say you don't have to spend any more than 30 minutes to 90 minutes outside or looking at your window or in your living room, whatever, doing the studies. And then I would say you don't that a studio painting assembling all those things, in my experience, it, it would take something like anywhere from two hours to six hours. Or if uh, if you're faster or slower, maybe a little faster or a little slower. And that because it's a studio painting, because the light isn't going to change as you're standing there, you can break it up. You could spend an hour one day, an hour another day, and eventually um, build build a piece out of it. So is that does that sound like a good... That is a good, good one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And then I have another one, but it's a little more nebulous. Okay, go ahead. Let's go for the nebulous one as well. Okay, so I like to find shapes in the clouds. Or if you're staring at those cottage cheese ceilings, like try and find shapes in the, in the cottage cheese uh, huh. ceilings in houses. And so that's, that's really interesting because if you're looking at an abstract shape and your brain comes up with something from it, that's interesting and that's telling about who you are and about your brain. So my exercise is sort of like, the, this is an exercise that I do sometimes. It's called like following your intuition or I kind of like to think about like following a cat around a city where if you get too close and you try to really like, I'm going to follow you really close, it might run away. So it's just sort of like seeing where this intuition will take you and the, what that looks like practically is sitting down at your sketchbook or Procreate or whatever um, tool that you have and just putting down a shape and then seeing how you feel about it and being like, you know what, this kind of doesn't look like anything. I'm going to put down another shape right here. Um, maybe I'll blend it with some water or I'll get out the blender and Procreate. Hmm, that looks interesting. What do I, what does my intuition tell me to do now? I need some line. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what, this looks like a boat sitting on, on the water. Okay, I'm going to make it into a boat sitting on the water. How do I do that? What was my intuition telling me? It might need a shadow here. It might need a sail here. It might, and so it's this exercise. I I don't know that I ever expect anything from doing this, but occasionally I'll I'll sit down when I don't have any ideas, and I'll just be like, I'm gonna let my, I'm gonna practice this idea of letting my intuition guide whatever it is I'm gonna do right now on this blank piece of paper. Hmm. So that's that's the more nebulous. Uh, is that the right word? Nebulous? Like le less uh, less structured exercise? Yes. I, I do like that. I never really, you know, you look at the clouds and everybody comments. Like my daughters do it all the time. They look at the clouds and they're like, do you see the whale? Do you see the... <laughs> and uh, I never... I'm going to try that bit of it because I, I think that's a really cool exercise to be able to look at the clouds because it's like your hand right uh we mm -hmm. talked earlier about your your uh, dad commenting about drawing the hand because it's always in the end of your arm it's never that yeah. it's not very, that far it's away there. um but there's often clouds in the sky and you know that that duck that you see may be a a whale uh it may be a tree with all within 10 minutes right as as things shift mm -hmm. I, I really like that idea and and working with shape and, and seeing where that takes you um mm -hmm. I really that's that's cool. I like that one. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
And the first one as well. I think it's challenging with social distancing, but uh, mm-hmm. I think there's ways, as you say, to look out your window. Or uh, And it, I think your point is valid too about it's not just taking, you know, oh, this is a great spot. I'm going to take six photos with my phone and I'm going to go back and draw it. But mm-hmm. making notes of the smells and the feeling and the color yes. and, and trying to pull, pull those senses into it is a really, uh, and that's something people need to be mindful of. Yeah, and I think that's that's really why we why we one reason why we, we make art because there's some things that a photo can't capture mm-hmm. and it's it's about the experience of, of being alive yeah. in, in that moment and yeah definitely yeah i mean when i look i've got your picture up here just scrolling through your instagram of you and and uh, your girlfriend in the car there and you could feel that the windows are open and it's a humid day and uh, you know you could feel the temperature dropping a little bit because it's it's getting into the evening like you, you know it's those things that you that an artist if you can evoke that in someone else and I think you've done a good job. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to just end on here, when mm-hmm. this episode comes out, it's going to be 2021. And I wanted you to maybe take that that lens that you have of gratitude uh, that you're doing every day. And I'm wondering if you can look forward to 2021 for yourself creatively. And what are you looking forward to? What are you hoping to achieve in 2021? Huh. I'm not. I'm not really sure what i'm hoping to achieve in 2021 i think that at least i'm not sure artistically i know what i want to achieve in 2021 for my own personal growth like i want to stick to this schedule and this discipline that i've been giving myself and i want to grow as a person i want to be a better person i want to be more involved socially Uh, i want that to be reflected in my art one thing I can say for sure is I want to pursue educational opportunities with art. I would love to make some some YouTube videos. I'm I'm currently working on one. <laughs> I have been for a while. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I would love to I would love to make some educational things. Yeah. So answer is a bit vague, but I know I know what I want to do for myself. And I I know my my uh, my ultimate goal of making work that has has an impact. And I know that my recent interest in in making educational type of type of stuff. So somewhere where all those things meet, I suppose, is what I would really be happy with in twenty twenty one. I I think that would be cool. I I think the great thing about education and creating it is it forces you to evaluate yourself and to to tell your story differently than just the images and words floating around in your head. So. I think it forces you to look at yourself and to to create the story that other people can consume. And uh, I think that's an opportunity for growth. And I think it would be an opportunity for everyone listening for you to be able to put out some YouTube videos or Skillshare, wherever they end up, that you can share with us. And I'm sure we're going to learn a lot from you and from everything you've done. That'd be cool. That's, that's the hope, I guess. <laughs> So I wanted to, uh, I guess, end this with uh, asking where people can find you, Michael. Where can they find you online? Uh, yes, yeah, so you can find me online on on Instagram. I'm I, pretty active on Instagram uh, at Michael Ralph. It's just my name, uh, no spaces. And then um, I also have a YouTube channel, which uh, I'm starting to put more stuff onto, doing some streaming on YouTube, and that's Michael Ralph Art. And then there's my website, which is just myname.com, michaelroth.com. Yeah, so I, th- that would be, uh, I think that's everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for uh, putting the time aside for this and uh, wishing you well for with you and your girlfriend into 2021. I hope you stay safe and healthy. And uh, thank you so much for, uh, for, as I say, spending the time with me and and uh, and sharing some of your knowledge and some of your journey. I appreciate it. Well, I, I thank you so much for asking me to to do this podcast, Mike. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. Like, I have some I have some things to think about, like. Uh, and some things to to reflect on, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. As always, show notes, including links to everything Michael and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 44. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the newsletter on the website and share the podcast with someone you know. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Be kind to one another, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. Thank you.